0: Hi, I'm Anna McEwen and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. <laughs> I know you, not that you're going to know this because I deleted it, but I literally spent, <laughs> I just deleted like 30 minutes of our, of our last episode. This is our last episode. David dies. Solomon takes over. Like we kind of wrap up all these loose ends. We're done. Sixty-one episodes it took us to get through the life of Solomon, uh, life of David. But hopefully we learned a lot. I'm hoping that I'm hoping for a lot of things when I do these things because I, I, I my I, my goal is not is not to give you all the answers, but to intrigue you and inspire you to look at these these stories again either with new eyes, fresh eyes, new information, new insights or possibilities into the personalities and relationships that these characters had, as well as learn from their lives, godly principles, kingdom principles, uh, results of choices, all that kind of stuff. And and I, I hope you did, and I hope you continue to, and I hope you join me on the next round as we start the book of Genesis, which I think is filled Filled with great opportunities to learn, because, man, we start at the beginning. I'm so excited because the beginning is what we see, we see so clearly what God's striving for, what what the goal is, what he what he designed us for. Oh man, oh, this is gonna be great. And just like the first Adam pictures what what purpose and direction and identity God put in us. The second Adam, Jesus, right, is our filter. And anything that doesn't match up with with Jesus when we read about God is like, okay, then we need to rework this at some level because God is consistent. He's good throughout all of time. And we'll see that again. It's not that his people are. I get that. Choices are made. Choices are made. So I hope you had a great run. I know I did. I've had a, I had a great run, but anyways, I was, I was rolling through this whole lesson and then I realized I had done something kind of goofy. I had, uh, I had not put the right passages up on the, up on the wall in front of me. I tried to keep the passages, you know, up in front of me that we're working on and I had grabbed the wrong one and I started, I just kept going. I was reading the passage and then I was reading the passage, the next page and I'm reading that one. And in my head, I thought, that doesn't sound right, but I just went with it because I you know, I trust my rhythm. And then I was 30 minutes in, and I was like, no, 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 this is actually really wrong. This is actually wrong. <laughs> and so I had to start over. So hopefully you guys enjoy it the second time. <laughs> no, you won't even know. I'm going to enjoy it the second time. All right. First Kings chapter two, chapter two. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave charge to Solomon, his son. Now, David knows that he's dying. I don't know how long it is between chapter 1 of Kings and chapter 2 of Kings. But it could have been upwards of five or or more years. In which he put Solomon on the throne. Remember, uh, last time he put Solomon on the throne, uh well, he had Solomon anointed and put on the throne with him there, and he and he praised God that he was able to see the the next, the next uh, you know anointed king of Israel, and I'm sure that his presence, David's presence, I think it probably allowed for a lot of, of calmness to return to the to the nation and to the family. Because if you remember, that whole day was kind of crazy, right? You had you had uh, uh, Adoniah or Adonai who who was in a political coup just outside the city, and then you had Solomon crowned king in the city, and then his people scattered in panic, right? Adonai's people they scattered in panic; they didn't know what was going to happen. Most of them were sons of of David and and of course his commander in chief so to speak the commander of his armies Joab was there and and uh, uh, the the other king um Abathar sorry the other priest Abathar the other key, uh, priest was there and they're all wondering what's going to happen what's going to happen but i think i think with Solomon in charge Nathan uh, as a, as a father figure and advisor Everything kind of settled down. David was still around. People were able to talk to David about why he put Solomon in charge. They were able to observe Solomon and be like, wow, he really is amazing. I actually think he's going to be a better king than David was, especially when David was 20, which is what Solomon was when he started. He was like, you know, that's that's the way, ideally, that's the way everything works in life. You, as as a father, allow your son to stand on your shoulders right you you launch them they start at a at a higher level than you do and i've seen that happen in my own life i see my sons they're they're much better fathers than i was they all got married young by the way they all had children when they were young but they are much better fathers than i was i was still learning and and i, I watched them and they've all in their own ways have have come and, and honored me by saying dad you gave us you know exactly what we needed not that you're ready, ever ready to be a father. I, I think that's that's always funny to me. People that say, "Well, we're waiting till we're ready to get married," or "We're waiting till we're ready to have children." It's like you are never ready, bro. You have no idea. You just don't know until you're in it. I and mean, that's a whole nother subject I was gonna go down, but I'm not. I know My, the engineers like Bob. Really, you want to go into marriage? You want to go into, uh, you know, living together until we know we're right? Oh man. Oh man, you're gonna be here for a while. Nah, no, we're not gonna go there. We'll have opportunity. We'll hit that subject some other time. Not today. We we're gonna kill off David. No, I'm looking. That's mean. But that is what we're gonna do. So David David, I think, knows he's dying. I think he knows he's dying. He knows I think he almost gets a choice. I think his closest to heaven allows him an opportunity to really interact with heaven in such a way that it's like, all right, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I think I think this will work <laughs> I think this is a good time for me to go and I don't know if it's again if it's um I guess in my head I just I picture him mentally still sharp but physically he's falling apart and again I don't know if it's cancer I don't know if it's just the rough life that he led early on uh, I don't know but I do know that it's it's to the point where he's done and I think he's he has spent so much time in in and around the atmosphere of heaven he's just ready to go and i've met people like that right i've met shut-ins that have used their time to hang out in the presence of god and they are amazing prayer warriors and amazing encouragers but they don't get out you have to you have to go to them or or you know they they have access to you through some you know some media of some sort but It's just not the same. And after a while, even they get tired and they're ready to go. And I think David was ready to go. So he calls in Solomon and he gives some pretty standard advice, right? He says, I'm, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. So be strong, act like a man, observe what the Lord requires, walk in obedience to him, keep his decrees, his commands, his laws, his regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. That the Lord may keep his promise to me, that if your descendants watch how they live and they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, that you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. So this is pretty awesome. Right? I mean, it's it's pretty awesome advice. He reminds him of God's principles. He's like, You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow, Solomon. I'm I'm asking you to do this. Be strong. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to observe what the Lord God requires. It's not always easy to walk in obedience to him, to keep all his decrees and commands and laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. <laughs> I don't think he just said those words. I think I think he explained to Solomon, I'm sure something that Nathan had explained to Solomon many times before, which is this. What are all the laws of the prophets contained in? Jesus answered this question when the Pharisees asked him, right? He's like, all the law and the prophets can be can, can be contained in these two things: love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. People shorten it up even more: love God, love people. I think that's what David's trying to tell Solomon. He's like, this is this is it all the requirements, all the obedience, uh, uh, all the commands, sorry, all the decrees. If you love God and you love people, as it's written in the law of Moses, everything you do is going to prosper. Everywhere you go is going to be blessed. That's the bottom line, Solomon. It's, It's not always easy, trust me. It's not always easy to love God and love people. Sometimes it seems like the right thing to do to not love somebody. It seems like the right thing to do to hate somebody, to kill them. But don't do it. Be strong. Be strong. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And love people. And if you do that, like this is the this is the promise I was given. Now we've seen this promise written to written down before but from David. And he's written it more artistically, right? He's written it that God said, you know, your your throne will be established forever. In other words, there will always be one of your descendants on the, on the throne of David, uh, on the throne of Israel. There will never be a time in which you don't reign over the over the nation of Israel. And we know that that's not true. We know that there are people who reigned in the on the throne of Israel that weren't in the line of David. So what is David talking about? Well, this is what he's talking about. If you keep Loving God and loving people, if you do this, then it'll get to the next generation and the next generation. And if if this is true, then the promise that God gave me was as long as people continue to follow, follow that, that principle that Moses wrote down, if they follow that principle, then you will always have somebody on the throne in Israel. Which is a fascinating thought when you know when you think through history that there could have been a kingdom established in Israel over the last you know four thousand years or ten whatever ten thousand whatever I, I don't know if you're young life, young young earth, old earth, whatever over the thousands of years that if if the descendants of David had continued to follow the principle of loving God and loving people, they would still be on the throne in in Israel. They would still be drawing people to the nation of Israel. It would still be a magnet to all the other nations to be like them because the favor of God would flow down on that nation so that the nations would be drawn to him. Not Not so that his people could crush the world with wealth and with wisdom, but rather that the world would be like, if we also love God and love people, the blessings of God will flow on us. This is this is such a principle of the kingdom that a lot of people on earth try to, they, I don't know if they purposely try to skew it or if they just experientially try to, uh, they portray it incorrectly. But there's lots of times that, that the blessings of heaven are, are described in such a way that you think God's gonna run out of blessings. Like you can't, well, he can't bless everybody. There has to be a winner and a loser. We're going to pray that we win because he's going to bless us more. You know, we're going to pray that that Mike, you know, our company uh, gets all the contracts because, well, God's going to run out of contracts to give those other guys. And, well, we love God more. We're going to pray that our church grows to 10 or 15 or 100,000 people because, well, because we we do this right and somebody else does it wrong and God can't bless everybody. Yes, he can. Well, what would that look like? I don't know, but I am real confident that he can figure this out. And that's what he wanted. He wanted a nation that would become a picture of heaven and all the other nations would be drawn into it. And it goes all the way back to Genesis where he put a family in a garden and he said, you know, spread the garden out create a world that looks like heaven. David understood that from a child he understood that if we run this nation right if I if 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 all of this works the way that I know God wants it to, then we will start to recruit we'll spread the garden, we'll spread the kingdom not for not for David's personal gain. But for the glory of God, like I know he wasn't 100% right. I know he didn't make all the decisions like he's supposed to, which is why the kingdom didn't turn out perfectly the way he should have. I know he wasn't a great father. I get it. But man, he did a lot of things right. And he's telling Solomon, son, do it right. Be strong. Love God. Love people. Do it right. Well, then things take this weird turn. I don't know how else, to, how else to describe it. He goes from this this place of like blessing will flow, and as you are in relationship with God, and the time that you spend in heaven, and ascending and 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 descending in and out of the throne room of heaven, like this whole amazing mystical experience. And if you want more on this, you look up this this. Uh, this radio show called, well, it's uh, the, the title of the of the series is called Solomon's Academy. It's it's by this guy named Marios Elianis. Mario Elianis. Amazing. Amazing on the life of Solomon. I'm not doing the life of Solomon. I'm just saying if you're interested in the life of Solomon, man, that guy nails it. And I think each episode is about 20 minutes. Nothing like mine. He does not do epic narratives. He does the kind that. Are easy to listen to <laughs> anyway great great little plug for him if you've ever never heard of a mario elianis the solomon academy it's out there it's amazing worth every penny if you can buy it on with the show bob so he takes this it's takes this weird turn he goes from talking about blessings of god and standing on his principles then he goes, He goes. now, you yourself know what Joab did. So he goes into this whole series of explaining to Solomon, reminding Solomon what, what a rebellious, arrogant, dangerous man Joab is. He's like, he killed two commanders of Israel's army during peacetime as though it was during battle. Now there's an understanding in David's heart. He understands that that death occurs, but it's not something that is supposed to be part of the kingdom of God. He understands that. So during a time of peace, you don't kill people, even if the time of peace is only 15 minutes, 15 minutes ago, you don't kill them, right? Abner had come and made arrangements to to turn the the northern tribes over to over to David. He hadn't even left the city yet. Joab found out about it. He pulls him back into the city and kills him. And then Amasa is is the commander general in charge of Absalom's army. He comes and he asks forgiveness of David, or not? No, he doesn't come ask forgiveness. David sends out a message to him and says, "Listen, if you, let's let's make this right. I'll put you as commander in general of my army." But bring Judah to me. And, and and he goes and he gets all the leaders of, of Judah to, to join David. They meet at the, at the river. And his first assignment is to go raise up the army of Judah, which it took a while, which may involve politics. I don't really know. But the bottom line is, again, Joab looks at him. He's like, I, basically, I don't get demoted. I'm either in charge or I die. And frankly, I'm taking you out because I'm still in charge. And it it, it describes it like this. He says uh, he killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained both the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. So basically it means he killed both of them in close proximity, like with a dagger. So much so that their blood got on him and dripped down his tunic and landed on his sandals. It, it, it speaks to the cold-heartedness of Joab, to the lack of, teach, uh, of honor that he has for leadership when leadership tells him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Or they make a decision regarding who's in charge of things that he doesn't think should be in charge of things. He's like, then I just take him out. So David's like, deal with him according to your wisdom, but don't let... His gray head go down to the grave in peace, which I think is is pretty funny. He says to him, "I'll let you decide what happens, but my request to you is that you kill him. Uh, you know, basically, uh, you can do what you want. You can do what you want, Solomon, your king. But as as you know, the king who's dying, my dying, one of my dying wishes." is that Joab also die? Then he says, oh, but be nice to the sons of, of Brazili of Gilead. Let them eat at your table. Like, be really kind to them, because they stood me, stood with me when I fret, fled from your brother Absalom. And if you remember, that was the family that uh, hid uh, Jonathan and um, not Abed, Ab, uh, Abishai. No, he's Joab's brother, Abathar. Abathar, the, the co-high priest, remember he uh, he he hid Abathar and Zadok's sons in their well and all that stuff. So he's like, be nice to them, give them a seat at the table. That doesn't mean necessarily every night. It just means during banquets, during large gatherings, like make sure to invite them, give them a place of honor. And he's like, oh, yeah, and one more thing. You know, you remember Shimei, the Benjamite, who called down bitter curses on me the day that I ran from Absalom. And he threw dust on us and threw rocks at us and cursed us for like 100 or 200 yards as we walked up the hill. And he embarrassed us and he humiliated us. And he, you know, he said all these horrible things. You remember him. And I kind of gave him a pass at the time because I thought, well, maybe maybe he's speaking the voice of heaven. Like maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I'm supposed to die. Maybe our family is not supposed to be in charge of, of the kingdom anymore. Maybe Absalom is supposed to be. Maybe this is God's hand. Like this is all kind of running through David's mind as he's walking out of the, out of the city while well, Absalom is walking into the city. He goes, well, turns out he was dead wrong. And what he did was inappropriate. And, and yes, I forgave him when he came to meet me at the, at the river. But you know what? He was wrong. And he's not innocent. I don't consider him innocent. Uh, Do do, I hope you don't either? Don't you consider him? I mean, yes, I swore by the Lord I wouldn't put him to death, but you're not me, so you put him to death because what he did was wrong, and I say so. And he said again, "But you know, you're a man of wisdom. You do what you want, but kill him. (laughs) Bring down his gray head in blood. Just." Take him out. And then it says, David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, and he reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem, and so Solomon sat on the throne of David, and his rule was firmly established. Hmm. So how long did David reign? Well, he reigned 40 years. How old was he? Well, he's 70. Well, we don't really know. Because he could have been alive for another... That 70 is not a is not necessarily a pure translation. It could be 75. So he was somewhere in 70 to 75, but he also could have reigned, Solomon could have been reigning for another five or so years before David actually died. We don't know. And you know what? It's okay not to know. It's okay. And if somebody wants to preach it as though they know the exact time, that David died. That's fine. Just smile and and let them be as sure as they want. Just know that you really don't know. It's tough to it's tough to be emphatic. It's tough to be absolute about this, and that's okay. It doesn't change the story. It doesn't. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. All right. So Adonai, who had rebelled, right, and then the the same day that uh, that. uh Solomon got crowned. Remember he had, he had the, the political coup going on. So Adonai was, if you remember, he was put under house arrest and he was told by Solomon, right? After he had run to the, to the temple, uh, to the tabernacle, sorry, he'd grabbed the horns of the altar and he was like, I can't die here because no one gets killed at the altar. Solomon was like, well, you're right, but listen, you're my brother. I won't kill you. So he comes to the, before the king. He bows down and honors the king, and he's like, what do you want? He's like, just go live at home. In other words, you're under house arrest. Don't leave the palace. He's like, all right, good plan. So he's in the palace, but he's got no authority. He's got no power. The same thing had happened to Absalom, if you remember. Same thing had happened to Absalom after he killed his uh, the crown prince, uh, Ammon. He was under house, he had no power, no authority when he came back from exile. He was like, this is ridiculous, this is a horrible way to live. Now Adonai feels the same way. So he goes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. Now Bathsheba is is probably in her mid-40s at this time. Solomon's in his early 20s. And it's it's later we'll see, like Solomon actually has a throne next to his throne for his mother. She's the queen mother, basically. she's she's a more than just like a uh, you know, a nice old woman who who keeps an eye on her son. She's like a co-ruler. That was part of Solomon's wisdom. He recognized the leadership of women. That's what a wise leader does. So if you are a male and you're in leadership, it's very wise for you to recognize women and to give them a throne next to yours. Because they're of equal value in the kingdom of God. So so, Adonai... Oops, sorry, I just banged the banged the mic. Uh, <laughs> Adonai goes to... Bathsheba, and she says to him, uh, are you coming peacefully? Oh, yes, yes, peacefully. I just have something to say. Go right ahead, she says. As you know, the kingdom was mine, <laughs> which is incredibly arrogant. But he's trying to frame this, right? This is one of those people that are like, we have to frame this correctly. We, we have to present this in such a way that we ignore the facts and just tell people what we think they that we want them to know. Because if we tell them everything, oh, you know, then it then might not go as we want it to. So we're going to frame it. So this is a PR move. Politics. We need to structure the story. <laughs> Sorry. Another flashback. Somebody used to say that to me all the time. We need to structure the information in such a way that the people basically don't know the truth. Or they see the truth the same way we do. Because we're right they're wrong so that's that's his presentation his presentation here the kingdom was mine all israel looked to me as their king remember we were all there in the in the tent saying long live uh, king adonai now all of israel wasn't there remember David wasn't there. Nathan wasn't there. The king's guard wasn't there. Like there were lots of people not there, but that's not, we're not going to deal with that information. We're just going to say everybody was there, but things changed. Things changed. You know, things, yeah, things changed. You were in rebellion. Things changed. Things changed. Kingdom went to my brother. I I don't really know all the details, uh, but it's come to him from the Lord. That's fine. Like he got anointed, Uh, but that's fine. But I just have, you know, just one request. Just please don't refuse me. I kind of picture Bathsheba, you know, gently smiling, going, Oh, this is this is you know, this is rich. this is this is like what what drama class did you go to on how to how to write a play? Like this is nowhere near the truth of what happened, but you go ahead with your request. Sure, absolutely. What's your request? Asking Solomon to give me Abby, the Shunammite woman. As my wife. Now, what's he saying? Well, what he's saying is, uh, I would like the last living wife of David to be my wife. I, I, I know. I know that he never slept with her. So in sleeping with me I then have the rule. In other words, this is another political coup. He's just he just won't stop. He couldn't he couldn't leave things alone. He couldn't just be retired. <laughs> he had to step in. So all right. She goes, "All right, I'll I'll talk I'll talk to Solomon for you." Which which is crazy. Because she knows what he's doing. She's not an idiot. Remember, she's basically a co-ruler with Solomon. She knows what what she's about to ask Solomon, she knows what it implies. And and basically Adonai is betting that Bathsheba's an idiot. Or betting that Solomon is. So Bathsheba goes in to see the see the, the the king, and it says he stands up to meet her, which is a sign of honor. He bows down to her and sat down on his throne. He had a throne brought in for the for the king's mother, and she sat down at his right hand. This is a I'm telling you, it is. It is such a kingdom thing he did not view women as secondary. He saw the wisdom and beauty and life-giving activity that that his mom brought to the world. And he was like I want this as part of our culture. He's a wise king. So she sat there and he goes she says I have a small request to make of you. Don't refuse me. The king's like, make it my mother. I will not refuse you. Now these are these are words of, of of uh policy, right? It's like saying, I'll give you half my kingdom. Basically, it's it's like let's let's consider this. Don't refuse me. Don't shut me off. Don't close off the conversation. Let's let's do this. So she goes, uh let let Abby be given in marriage to your brother Adonai, and he's like, why do you what? Why do you make that request? You might as well request the kingdom for him. He's my older brother, and yes, for him, and for Abby, the priest, and Joab, the son of of Zerai. She's like, he's like, why why are you doing this? You know what you're asking for. Well, yeah, she did know what she was asking for, which is why she asked because. She wanted she wanted her son to deal with this he didn't deal with it earlier he had given mercy before she's like you need to deal with this this is a king thing and so he did he's like by the may the Lord deal with me ever be it ever be sort of be it ever so severely If Adonai does not pay with his life for this request and now as surely as the Lord lives he who established me securely on the throne of my father David has founded a dynasty for me, as he promised. Adonai shall be put to death today. So King Solomon gave orders to who? The most honorable man who ever was around, Benaiah. And Benaiah went and killed Adonai. Now, I don't know where Adonai, you know, was. I'm sure, like I said, he was under house arrest, so I don't think he ever left the palace walls, so to speak. He, was, he had made the request of Bathsheba, and she's like, yeah, I'll go talk to him today. So I'm guessing he's hanging around fairly close because he wants to know. Because if, if this goes as planned, because he's thinking Bathsheba has no idea what I'm asking for, I'm asking for the kingdom. I want I want a queen who was who was married to David. But she's also a virgin, which means you know, symbolically, she becomes my queen. I'm older than, than Solomon, which means. The older, like all of this is falling into place. He's thinking this is awesome. I've got it. Joab is still alive. Uh, Abathar, Abathar, I forget. Uh, who's the Who's the priest there with Zadok? <laughs> uh, yeah, Abathar. Man, so many A words. I should. I should. Next time I'll have a list of all the characters' names so I can just find it quickly. But Abathar is is still alive. Uh, Joab's still alive. I'm still alive. Uh, I can pull this off. This will work out great. So Solomon's like, Why are you asking me for this? You know what you're asking for. And I picture her smiling, going, Yeah, I do. He's like, Oh man, he's dead. He is dead. I cannot believe he. I asked him not to do this. I said, I will let you live here in the palace. You can live your life. This is not going to be a problem if you're not a problem. But now he's a problem. This is how he's going to thank me for my kindness and mercy? No, 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 no. This is not how it works. Benaya, Yes, sir. I need you to go take out Adonai. Strike him down today. Crazy. Then Abathar, the priest says go back to your fields you deserve to die but i will not put you to death now because you carried the ark of the sovereign lord before the, before the father Dave, my father david had shared my father's hardships so solomon removed abathar from the priesthood of the lord fulfilling the word of the lord spoken to silo about the house of eli so solomon's like i got to i got to clean up this mess i i was hoping that everything would, you know, be cool. That he'd be cool, but clearly he's not cool. So I need to clean this up. So he demotes and removes um, uh, Abathar from his role as as priest. So Zadok is alone as high priest, which is it was weird to have two high priests, anyways. But Abathar is removed from the priesthood, and it it's not that God judged the. F- the house of Eli it's it's not like this was all in God's plan it's just that God knew that this was a good probability of of you know of it happening just because of the of the culture in which that family cultivated leadership so when news reached Joab okay so Joab's hanging out he's like wait a minute uh um Adonai's dead. He he asked for the kingdom again. I, I'm guessing Adonai didn't ask for the kingdom without Abithar and Joab knowing about it. It might have actually even come from Joab, given Joab's reaction here. I don't think I don't think Adonai worked alone on this. When you look at Solomon's actions, Solomon put this all together. He's like, you know what? Those guys are still alive because I because I gave them that choice and basically told them all, don't cause trouble. Don't come after me. Don't try and take over the kingdom, and I'll just let you live. And I think Joab was like, you know what? We can still take them. If you could get this girl to be your wife, just ask for her to be your, your wife. He may think nothing of it because... Because of what her job was, right? Her role was just to be a, a, a nurse's aide, a home health care worker. But technically, she belonged to David, and if you get her as your wife, we can claim the throne again. And Solomon recognizes the whole conspiracy, and he takes out uh, Adonai. He he. Demotes Abathar and sends him to the field. Basically, you know, it's exile. It's like being a monk. He's like, you know what? Just go work the land. You're done. Leave your robes behind. Leave your hat behind. Put your sandals on and your sweatpants and call it a day. And word gets to Joab and and he's like, oh, crud. He's on to us. So he runs to the tent of the Lord, and he grabs the horn of the altar. Why? Well, because you're supposed to be able to do that. It worked for Adonai the first time. So he, he goes, and he grabs the horns of the altar, and and he finds out about it. And Solomon, heard, Solomon, sorry, Solomon finds out about it, and he orders Benaiah. He's like, go get him. So Benaiah goes to the tent, and he sees that Benaiah is not just in the tent. Like, he's up at the altar. He's like, the king wants you to come out. Now, Job knows that that doesn't mean he wants to come out and talk. He's like, he wants you out of here so I can kill you. Joab looks at him, and, and, and in perfect Joab, rough, arrogant, never backing down, Uh incredibly um, self-disciplined, he's like, I'm never leaving right here. If I die, it's going to be here. He's, He's saying two things. He's saying either you kill me at the altar, which you're not supposed to do. Not that there's a law against it, it's just not supposed to. Or I sit here for the rest of my life and I'll just die here of old age. But you don't you don't demote Joab. David tried that and I killed the guy who put he put over me. you don't you don't demote me. you don't send me to exile. nope. I don't go to exile. so you you either leave me in command of the armies or you leave me here at the altar because I ain't leaving. This is where I die one way or the other. So he goes back, Benai goes back to the king and he reports it all. And the king says, all right, well, if that's what he wants, that's what we'll give him, kill him at the altar. Because you know what? He has shed blood during peacetime as though it was war. He, he opened my, my father and my father's family in this nation to negative ramifications from the enemy because of his choices, his arrogance, his, his rebellion. And I'm done with it. He was part of this conspiracy to to take my father's throne from him. And now he's been part of a conspiracy to take the the throne from me. And I'm not going to sit here and continue to give him the choice to live. If he wants to die at the altar, then that's where he will die. But he will die today. Beniah, go kill him. So he did. So Beniah, the son of, of Jodiah went down and struck Joab, and he killed him, and he buried at his home in the, out in the country, which, again, speaks probably of, of, you know, at least at least a few hours, because usually they would be buried on the sunset of the day that they were killed. And the king put Beniah in charge of, of the entire army. So he went from just overseeing probably about 1,000 men at the palace, you know, commanding a, a wonderful group of men from multiple nations to commanding all of the nation's armies. And I'm guessing everybody who got who got word that Benaiah was now their commander-in-chief was really happy about it. Because you remember Benaiah was the most honorable man mentioned a couple chapters ago in the Hall of Honor. Even though he didn't have huge exploits of killing hundreds of men on his own, everything he did was, was with more honor than anyone else on the list, which is an amazing thing to have written about you forever, In the Bible. And then the king sent word to Shimei, the man who had cursed his father. And he says to him, basically, I'm going to put you under house arrest in Jerusalem. You can come live here in the city. You stay under my watch for the rest of your life. You don't go anywhere. You don't go out of the gates. You cross the, the, the brook. Outside the gate, that is you telling me that you want to die. The day you cross the Kidron Valley, you will die. But that'll be your choice. That'll be on you. Because you can still operate all your family fields and livestock from here. You're an old man. Your sons are all in charge of it anyways. But you know what you did to David. You know what you said to the family. You know what you brought, what you called down upon them. You know what you did to them physically with the stones and the dirt. You're not innocent. I know my dad didn't kill you, but you're not innocent. So I'm going to put you under house arrest. Build a house. Like he lets It gives him property. He's like, you build a house here, but make sure it's one you like being in because you're not leaving the city ever again. And Shimmy's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> what you say is good. I will do like you want. In other words, I don't want to die today, so yeah, that's a great plan. I agree with you. What I did was inappropriate. What I did was wrong. Your dad showed me great forgiveness in the moment, but you're right. I never paid for what I did. So here we go. He builds a house. Three years later, two of his servants run to Gath. They run away. Now, Gath is whatever, 40, 50 miles away, out toward the coast, and he goes to Gath and he gets them. Now maybe after three years he figures no one remembers that I'm not supposed to leave the city. Maybe he thinks he has a good excuse to leave the city. You know, when you want to break the rules, you can come up with lots of reasons to do it, and that's what he did. He came up with lots of reasons, and two of them were his slaves, and he was the, you know, they were the, he was their owner or whatever. So he went and got it, and he brought him back, and no one noticed. And he thinks, oh, this is good. Well, okay, no one actually killed him when he crossed the valley, which I'm sure he was probably nervous of when he first started crossing the valley. But when he crossed the valley and no one killed him and he came back and no one killed him, he thought everything was good, but everything wasn't good because somebody told Solomon what had happened. He was like, hey, just so you know, Solomon. And again, this information doesn't just come from some random person running up the street. It goes up a chain of command, so to speak, to eventually getting to Solomon. He's like, Shemme left the city. He went to Gath. He took his, brought back his slaves, and he's back here in the city. So the king called him. Now, I don't know if Shemmy's nervous. I'm guessing he is. I know for me, in my life, when I've done something wrong, and I think I've gotten away with it, and then the person who told me not to do that thing calls me, I get nervous, or I see a text from them. Or they show up at the same party as me. I think, oh, 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 man, I hope, I hope they still don't know what I did. So I have a feeling Shemmy's a little nervous walking into the throne room. And he gets there, and Solomon says, uh, "So, do you remember that arrangement? Didn't, didn't I? You know, like I made you swear, right? I mean, we we took an oath on this, right? I mean, it was pretty clear what the deal was." that if you left the city you would die that was your choice and you said it was a good it was a good contract you said that you would stay in the city so why didn't you why did you walk away now you know in your heart the wrong you did to my family so you made the choice and you're going to die but it says, King Solomon will be blessed. David's throne will remain secure. And the king gave the order to Baniah. And he went out and struck down Shemi, and he died. And the kingdom was now established in Solomon's hands. See, I don't, I don't know, like I said, I don't know how many years it was between chapter 1 and chapter 2 of 1 Kings. I don't think it was a week. I think it was probably several years. And these guys kind of kept thinking, uh, we can get away with, you know, we got away with something here. We we kind of slid something under the table. And they kind of had in the back of their mind, like, well, when David's gone, we might have a chance to take the kingdom again. Like, mm, David's kind of propping Solomon up. We don't know if, David, if Solomon's the, the type of leader that would actually kill people he showed mercy he showed kindness he's really smart he's very wise he listens to his mother he puts a throne for her right next to his she sits at his right hand so david dies and adonai puts into motion once again a play for the th- for the throne and i think these guys were all in on it and they found out that solomon will protect the throne that Solomon is not just going to sit back and let rebellion run rampant in the in the city, and he kills several, and he and he retires one, and then his kingdom rules on. And like I said, if you want to hear more about it, I think the you know the study of Solomon is uh, well worth the effort because well. Because it's Solomon, and he knows his stuff. And it's pretty impressive. And if you want to listen to Mario, Marios, Elianus, the Solomon Academy, an amazing study. I think it's 10 episodes. Like I said, I think they're 20, 20 minutes apiece. Really good stuff. Look it up. It's all online. But from here, after 61 crazy opportunities that we've had together. I appreciate all of you listening. I do, and I hope you continue to tell people about us. I hope you continue to help uh, spread the news. I'd love to get to a place where this can just, you know, where, where we have hundreds of thousands of listeners. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun, because I just think there's so much to learn from the epic narratives of the Old Testament with the fresh new filter of the life of Jesus being perfect theology the perfect picture of the father even in the old testament it gives us just these fresh eyes to look at and that's what i that's why i wanted to go to genesis because it's just man those opening chapters are just exactly what god pictured for the whole earth the whole earth and I believe David understood that and one, that's one of one of the pictures he had in his mind like we can make a kingdom that looks like the garden. He didn't quite get there but I think Solomon understood that as well. And remember David left behind he left behind a heart of worship that I think Solomon just like he just exploded that concept. he exploded. The worship and the 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 atmosphere, the the ascending into the throne room of God. And he left. So David left behind a lot of riches. He left behind gold and silver and fabric and wood and fur, all available for Solomon to build the temple, the the permanent structure of God. Because he because David had uh, God had promised David, right? You're not going to build it, but the next one will. He's like, okay, then I will just stockpile wealth. And all of that wealth attracted more wealth. It attracted heaven's attention. And Solomon went and got even more. And if you study Solomon, like the numbers are astronomical. Like they're literally otherworldly. Which I think indicates he got otherworldly wealth. He got wealth from heaven to build that temple. millions and millions and millions of dollars David left behind because he was going to set up Solomon to do things right. And that's what every good leader does. I know David wasn't a great father, but he was a great king. He was a great king. And I I hope we've learned a lot from his life, and I would love to continue to talk to you guys more about it. Always feel free to reach out to me, as you know, and we will continue to do uh, the epic narrative We will continue to look at with fresh eyes, the amazing love and and life that God wants for all of us. All right, have yourself a great day. I'll see you next time on the Epic Narrative.